0: You are listening to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. We shine a light on the topics that matter to digital and data leaders in the NHS. I'm Alex Senace and I help connect digital leaders in the NHS with Interim Talent and I'm your host. So first of all, I want to you know I want to thank everyone for joining and I want to welcome everyone on today's podcast where we're gonna be focusing on the emerging use of data in the NHS. So I think I'll start with, let's go around and we'll do some introductions. Uh, I'll just start with you, Richard, because you're first on my top of the screen. So if you want to just tell us a bit about yourself and your your role within the NHS, that will be great.
1: Fair enough. Uh, how far back do you want to go?
0: Uh, just two years. Just <laughs>
1: okay, fair enough. Fair enough. So um, not that it's actually been that long. It's been, what? six years. Um, but uh, yeah, my name is Rich Snowden. Uh, I am currently uh, the uh, Business Intelligence Manager at uh, Maystone Tunbridge Wells NHS Trust. Um, uh, so that predominantly is kind of like a, uh, it's kind of third in command of the Business Intelligence team. So we've got our Associate Director, we've got a Head of uh, Performance and BI, and then we've got we've got me. Um, and uh, my main kind of uh Duties involves uh, managing the the corporate function of the team uh, which is essentially the people that do all the kind of churn and the the endless returns that come uh, from uh, from our wise regulators. Um, so it's just kind of making sure they're all kind of done, but also making sure that um you know, we have the kind of continuous mindful uh, improvement on things, because sometimes it can be quite easy to kind of fall into a rut if you've got a specific set of criteria to, to answer these various returns and routine reports and all that kind of stuff.
0: Amazing, perfect. Uh, Eva, do you want to go next?
2: Sure, so I'm Eva Simon, I'm the Associate Director of Informatics at South London and Maudsley, um, and my remit falls to looking at all the sort of prioritizing planning of what sort of work we're going to be doing and making sure that all lines up with national standards um and making sure the submissions get done and all the reporting gets done so yeah overall responsibility for informatics um within the trust
0: amazing
3: dan you want to go next hi yeah i'm daniel brecht or dan's really the best way to to call me Um, (laughs) And I'm head of data management for Great Ormond Street Hospital. So, um, my role covers the uh, sort of wider data landscape. So, I've got teams that do the data warehousing for the trust, as well as sort of the BIM reporting uh, creation of uh, ClickView and soon to be ClickSense. Um, but we also supply data out to our uh, DRE team, which is a research uh, environment for sort of the wider NHS to. And, and other companies to use for research.
0: Amazing, perfect. Many, many thanks for everyone. Uh, so I think it would be best if maybe I could start with you, Richard, with your question, if you want to address it to the panel, and then we'll we'll sure. start going around the panel. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um,
1: I'll be the guinea pig. Uh, so uh, <laughs> yeah, with my, my question is um, with the increasing use of data in the NHS, it's more important now than ever that uh, the quality of that data is as high as possible, in order that decision-making is well-informed. How do we, as data leaders, improve data quality and ownership of data quality?
3: Dan, do you want to go 1st got,
1: got a vested interest in this one, but I think we yeah. probably all do.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think, I think data quality is pretty much up there as one of the most important things um, for any organisation. Um, I think having an overarching strategy can really help, um, but that can only really be successful if you get buy-in from all of the sort of operational leads. Um, I've had some challenges at past organisations where um, sort of the the exec are very into uh, improving data quality and we know for sort of statutory returns and actually sort of clinical coding accuracy, um, we want things to be as accurate as possible. but getting buy-in from operational people who actually need to own the data is the biggest thing um, and really I guess it's uh, mostly about getting out there and understanding why it's like that in in the first place. There's probably processes that have developed over time and um, they don't realize the, the impact it can have sort of downstream um, so I think you really do need to get out there and um, speak to people and understand why they are doing certain things and explain to them how how we can sort of improve things but um, it's a very sort of iterative process it's never i guess one one brush sweep and it's done um because it's an evolving thing and as more systems come in and if we haven't got integrations between different systems it, it inevitably complicates things and and that's when it starts going wrong okay Eva what are your thoughts on on the topic
2: So, yeah, absolutely. It's such an important thing um, in the NHS at the moment, or always. But um, for us, what we've been looking at is how we get that ownership on the ground level. So how do we make data available to people that's really useful to them so that they want to keep those systems up to date so that you can then actually, rather than sort of the top down leadership going, why aren't you doing this? They're going well, I know that if I put this in, this data is correct and it's really useful to me, stops all those spreadsheets and all that sort of stuff, which then skews all your data massively as well, because it's, well, we've got it, but it's not in that system. Um, And then that forces that through. Uh, What we've also been looking at is um, creating data owners within the trust. So we've got a safety owner, um, and then we provide them with data sets for themselves and and dashboards and reports so that they can look at it. And we're aiming to actually get them to have to sign off their submissions every month. That's where we're aiming to get. So trying to actually get those overall owners and nothing gets changed unless they've signed it off and we've reviewed it, which also then helps us try and keep that data quality um, and, and, and ownership there. But it's really, in my opinion, starts right at that ground level. If we can't get them to understand why it's there and make it useful, I don't think you ever get anywhere.
0: Daniel, would you like to add something
3: to that? Yeah, I was, I was actually going to ask, do you find that sort of real time data quality sort of reporting helps in terms of to give them an understanding straight from the system where stuff is going wrong? Or are, are you sort of working on more of a the the nightly refresh into a warehouse?
2: so we have a combination i mean mainly it's a nightly refresh um but for some areas we are looking at much more frequent refreshes so that they can actually see what's happening at that moment so things like on the ward we have ward screens up to choose our data so they have rather than a whiteboard a, an electronic board up and that way if the data's not up there and it's not right they can't use it we're trying to do that for the bed management as well so for certain areas it's that um much more regular um refresh on it um, and then we're also working on sort of you know the waiting list validation and things like that which is a nightly refresh but we've sort of embedded that those business managers go in and check that regularly to keep on top of what's happening so that they don't have to speak to me every week
0: richard does that answer your question um
1: yeah yeah i think so i mean yeah you're preaching to the choir uh, the, these things are, uh, are 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 definitely uh the um the bugbear of every bi person i think um one thing that i mentioned because yeah we, we've also got a mix of um live and kind of uh nightly kind of stuff i find that um it's an additional challenge getting kind of live data of a good quality because it is so dependent on people actually updating things in a timely manner um and uh quite often especially when things are very busy which uh, is is increasingly the case it can be quite a challenge on that front um one of the examples we have we uh, recently started uh, executed or uh, launched rather a new uh ed system uh we moved on to um, one called sunrise uh, and um yeah getting kind of live data from that is very challenging um but there are things that you can do to potentially make it less challenging um for example making sure that all the all the fields all the timestamps stamps that you need are essentially mandatory fields to be recorded to make sure that, that they actually get recorded um it's a bit concerning when you can't record things like when a decision to admit is made um if they don't actually record it but mm-hmm. um it's always a it is a it's always a lovely challenge i think um the, the data owner thing definitely rings true uh, but um, What what we generally kind of tried in the past is things like data champions, uh, people out there um, operationally, especially uh, service manager level, that kind of stuff. Um, They can um, almost kind of like uh, big up uh, the importance of that kind of stuff. And like like Eva was saying, have have making sure that there's a nice, uh, they've actually kind of have valuable reporting uh, that is digestible to them and digestible to them change that what that is changes depending on the audience. Um if you just give someone a wall of, of numbers uh when they're a general manager, they they're not going to want that. They're going to want the, the meaning behind it or what does this actually
0: mean. Yes. Daniel would you like to add something to that?
3: Yeah, I think the the point about um, systems not having mandatory things built in as standard is a big one, because um, my biggest bugbear is uh, free text fields when we're trying to use it to measure something. Um, And actually, I think as a probably a step back in sort of the procurement or design process of bringing in any new system that we're going to want to report from, we need to build those mandatory fields in. and and understand those data items that then feed through for us to be able to monitor things. Um, Quite a lot of systems are brought in and obviously there's a clinical need um, which is the the biggest one. We've got to do what we need to do for our patients and it's got to be accurate um, and and useful for the clinical side of things but um, actually I think the it's always the the back seat to what data we can get out of the system and actually is there anywhere to well, we're interested in sort of turnaround times but actually it doesn't date time stamp when they come in or when they leave and and that can have a real impact and then you're sort of trying to play catch up immediately rather than having it built in at the beginning so you almost need to take a step back into procurement processes and and make sure it's all built in at the beginning to then almost remove the need to train staff as much because it's just part of the process. Eva?
2: Yes, I absolutely agree with you there. I think one of the big things we found as well is that those fields aren't mandatory. Um, We've just made a massive change to our uh, discharge time. Discharge date was mandatory, but time wasn't. And we've seen this massive shift. You can actually start using that data for something really interesting now. Whereas before everything was just midnight, so you know it—it's it, so important that we do do that. And one of the things we're trying to get into as well is that change control process within the trust. So anytime a system is going to be changed, we're right up front with it, and talking through what the impacts of that will be, how it impacts on the reporting, so that we make sure we get through the other end what what we need.
0: Amazing. So Eva, do you wanna do you wanna do you wanna uh, do you wanna start with your question?
2: Yep, yeah, sure. So my question was, um, where can good data quality, oh, sorry, where good quality data and information help in driving the population health agenda? Um, so to do that, we need to understand what the population health agenda is. And so this is defined as improving the physical and mental health outcomes and well-being of people within an area, which could be your local, regional or national, and whilst reducing those health inequalities. And it's focusing on prevention rather than cure. So it's all about keeping people healthy. Um, Now, this brings together health data and data from the wider determinants of health, such as socioeconomic, environmental and culture, um, which are believed to be accountable for 80 percent of health concerns. So it also then looks at bringing together the communities and the partner agencies to deliver the right health care and services. So it takes that data from all those relevant sources, it aggregates it and normalizes it, creating it into a single unified set that supports providers and medical groups and their services and financial decision-making. And with that, we can then do modeling and predictive analysis or machine learning across that data, looking for all those influencing factors in different conditions, um, which then predicts the likelihood of the development of these conditions within a population or even for an individual. So we then look at data quality. So what is it? It's that complete, accurate, timely and relevant data. So for a highly aggregated and amalgamated data, it's much less influenced by data quality than when you're closer to source. And um, so the closer you get, the more impact it has. So if you're looking at a mosaic, for example, you step back, you get that full picture. It looks like a great picture. The closer you get in to it, the more you lose sight of that picture and the floors really become visible. And that's uh, very true for this as well. Um, So in order to standardize and aggregate data, we need to have that common meaning and standard for any piece of data and how it's recorded. And most systems, as we've just discussed, have very individual ways of doing this. Um, So there needs to be a lot of transformation on that to get it into an agreed format. If you were looking, for example, at something like blood pressure, so you've got your diastolic and systolic recordings for those, um, and a system may hold that as two different fields, it could put it into one field, which could be separated by a hyphen or a backslash. So you can't just take that data and put it into one, it needs to be transformed in order to make that work. Um, And you can use things like natural language processing to correct some of that, but it has a massive influence on the models and the predictions that you put in place if that data doesn't line up. So if we then bring those models back down to more of a local level and use them for service design and in clinical decision support, um, it's where that data quality becomes so, so important. Um, And we can really see these models getting to work. So as a local CCG or ICS, for example, you'll look at your population data, and this will inform you what preventative service to put in place. And if the data quality is not good, you may set up the wrong services in the wrong places. A GP may get information on their patients who need increased monitoring or referral to other services as they're at risk of preventable disease. But if factors are missing from the data, these patients may not, may not be identified by the systems and put, or put onto the appropriate monitoring. So I had a great example recently from Brighton on their COVID response, and they mapped their COVID vaccine uptake onto their socioeconomic map, um, and they found a direct correlation to lower income areas and a low uptake of the vaccine and these, um, they use this data to adapt their service offer by creating a mobile vaccination centre and working with the communities to directly influence the uptake of that vaccine and ultimately protecting some of those more vulnerable populations. So that good quality data allows us to establish those right services in the right places and manage the individuals with the highest risk of preventable disease and supporting the population health agenda of prevention over a cure. So Amazing. I'd love to know what you guys think.
0: Richard, what do you think? Well, that was uh, that was
1: comprehensive. Definitely, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, I mean, you're completely right. Uh, there's there's so many aspects to to just the NHS care um, that having something integrated so that you know the end goal, which is people actually staying healthy um uh is is achieved. It all needs to kind of get married together um i've not done uh, been involved in anything at such a grand scale, but uh, back back in in a previous role when i was a, a business partner um at uh, another trust um I did quite a bit of analysis around um we used to call them the frequent flyers, but people that would repeatedly come to to the emergency department over and over and over again um and uh, the analysis that i did on a local level uh it basically transpired that 11 percent of our attenders so that's about, at the time it was about 12,000 people uh, 12,000 attendances uh equated to about 1200 people just coming over and over and over again um uh like that the peak of that was like someone came 60 times in a year uh and um drilling down into the kind of demographics of that uh it was very much a case of um uh certain patient cohorts you had kind of the frail and care home kind of side of it but it was predominantly driven by mental health and substance abuse um, so we fed this back uh, to uh, our uh, uh, ccg um, and it helped them to kind of put in some practices to essentially try to get some support for those people in the community because the trust that i was in at the time quite predominantly by its very location meant that it was quite easy just to go to A&E than get a GP appointment. Um, so uh, yeah, it clearly demonstrated that something needs to be done in in the community, at the community level, at primary care level, to, to try to kind of rectify that. Um, and uh, it kind of led into using uh, a slightly more grander data set, not quite as high as as, as, as what Ava was saying, uh, but there was um, uh, the the Kent County Council had their own data set. I think it may have uh, uh, either been integrated in something a bit more grander or kind of gone now, uh, but it used to layer in things like deprivation, that kind of stuff. Um, and the only other thing I'd say is that at the trust I am at the moment, it's quite interesting because we're, we're a two site trust. Um, so we have hospital at, in Maidstone, um, in Kent, uh, which uh, is uh, very, not quite central to the town, but uh, it is quite close. And then we have a uh, hospital in Tunbridge Wells. Uh, so we have a quite affluent area kind of hospital and one that is less so. Uh, and it's kind of interesting kind of layering in the kind of level of, of deprivation and kind of area codes into that kind of stuff to see what kind of support that, that we can give. Um, but yeah the importance is 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 always going to be kind of the high level of data quality because otherwise you can't make any kind of informed decision luckily the bigger the data set the the more like Eva says it's uh, it's uh, it's a little bit less of a factor but it always
0: will be Definitely. Okay. Dan what are your thoughts on this question
3: yeah I think it poses the the wider question uh, at what level do we need to kind of set guidance um and there's, you've got the national data strategy, which kind of lays out from a government side for data as a whole for every kind of different business. Um, but healthcare in, in general, there's this. Um, the, all, all news articles point out, right, we're increasing funding, but actually it's funding areas in, in the, the right um, way to enable the preventative medicine before you actually then need to treat them once they're in hospital so that we kind of need to use that data to shift the way that we look at the general population of of the the UK and anyone really. Um, But I think some of the the challenges is finding almost like that common model for the data Um, and until we can uh, I think one of the conversations I've had with quite a few people is that although we're a national health service, everyone does it differently and everyone uses different systems. And I think that is the the, the biggest challenge in trying to get everyone, everyone recognises that we need to do it, but actually being able to do it is another question because you, you're, you're doing your normal activity, you've got your waiting lists that are increasing over and over again. Um, certainly uh, some of the STP meetings um, that I've been to, um, there's almost a skills gap in analysts as well. So we we need to have those people in, in roles and available to look at the data and model the data to then provide that information to those higher up, to try and shift the strategy in, in what we do with our population health, um, all while trying to maintain uh, the sort of status quo, and I, 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 it's it's a difficult one because you, you kind of need to take a step back and almost throw everything up everything up in the air and and sort of replan. But changing governments, changing policies, CCTs coming in that were PCTs that have slightly been renamed, and we've slightly changed strategies. It it, it all influences it, and it's it's very difficult to get. Um, that one single view of what we think we should do um, which is quite often why you end up getting uh, external private companies that come in that that specialize in data modeling that come in and, and go oh we'll do this with your data and that's why there's that whole eagerness to to take them up on the offer when we could potentially be using that to invest in our staff and and then invest in the the public as as a whole but it's it's finding that right point to be able to do it Richard, would you like to add something to that?
1: Uh, sure. Um, I mean, yeah, that Dan said it on the head there. I think I think we have probably all felt the uh, the burn of private consultancies coming in to to fix everything, uh, and then not really, and then uh, a year later another private consultancy comes in and tries to fix it as well. Um, but uh, the only thing that I uh, uh, would add, I think, is um, there are kind of standardised data sets, all sorts of them. There's like an emergency care data set, there's a maternity care data set, uh, diagnostic information data set. Um, so it could be a possible way of going is to to have a, what would it be, a PHDS, a population health data set. So a kind of a standardised template that people need to actually provide something constant. Um, it would need to be very regulated and make sure that, you know, everything kind of is is as complete as it can be with data quality measures in there as well, much like the various other data sets around, Um, but uh, it is potentially a a direction that that could be
0: gone in. Eva, anything else that you would like to add?
2: No, I think they're all very, very accurate comments and I I would agree on the the skills gap. for sure and we know that there are people out there that can do that if you look at tfl the amount of data they take in and process google you know the skills are out there it's just about can we attract them to the nhs to support this in the right way um and i think that's the big a really big um question on that is how do we do that and get them over to actually help us work on this as opposed to having to bring in these private consultancies um but yeah, I think that's a very good points. And, you know, we should be able to use all our existing data sets that are out there to create that public health data set. It's just that it generally doesn't ask for everything you need. So it is a much bigger picture and somebody needs to, to sort of design that. Um, but at the moment, it's all devolved down to the ICSs to create their own Uh, population health databases that then hopefully will all link up and we'll be able to pull that through. But if there's no standardisation across that, then that's not going to work as a a whole picture either. Yeah, Dan,
0: would you like to add something?
3: Yeah, I think the the integrated care stuff is really interesting. Um, There's uh, especially getting people from all areas of different health uh, uh, sort of uh, industry industry is probably the wrong word um but but different speaking to someone from the council that specializes in population health and then having a a, an emergency care doctor um speaking about it is is the conversations have all been really really positive um but it is that standardizing that is where we're gonna potentially fall down i'm hoping that we've we've gone to a slightly uh bigger hierarchy in terms of um, getting all of those people talking and we've created an integrated care data set and then actually the next step is then combining those into that that wider picture um, but as eva said it's we, you kind of hope that we're all doing it in a similar way um, but i guess it's one of those ones that we're going to have to kind of see what happens over the next few years in terms of um, priorities and and I mean Covid uh, obviously had a huge effect on everything, Um, certainly in the the population health we've noticed people are now attending hospital with um, further along in their illnesses and and more complicated illnesses because they've not been able to get treatment so that it's everything sort of influences everything else Um, and we really do need sort of some higher up guidance on actually we, yes, we want these SDPs, the, the whole aim is yes, put data in people's hands so they can make decisions about their own health. Um, but I kind of feel it should have gone one step further and said actually do it and provide this kind of data set because then we would be able to do it as Eva said, get that, that single data set and single view across the entire population.
0: Yeah, I agree. So, Dan, I think we're up to your question now, if you want to address it to the panel.
3: Yeah, uh, so mine is, how can we develop our organisation data literacy to become a data-driven organisation? So, um, the, the background of this really is, I've, I've worked in lots of different organisations. Um, they want to become a data-driven organisation, they want self-service, but actually you can deliver all those things, but the benefits won't really come around because no one actually knows how to interact with the tools, the, the, the general skill level in the organisation isn't even ready for that. So the actual benefits that you see are are, are minimal. So really some sort of strategies and things that, that you've experienced in in how to improve that to actually get to that state of being a data-driven organisation. Eva, what are your thoughts on this question?
2: Well, it, it's a really good question and a really difficult one to <laughs> as well because... If you're, you know, to to provide that data out to people is great, but if people don't understand it, they're not going to know what to do with it. And a slight change in the way you display something can have a massive change in what it actually means. So what we're working on is a a catalogue of metrics. So we say, this is what this is, this is where it comes from, this is what it means, so that people have that, so that when you're talking about any type of thing, you have a specific meaning for it um, and that if anyone is going to use it they know what it's doing and why it's there um, and then it's just getting people used to having that conversation so it's having the conversation constantly about that piece of data and what it's showing them um, so we have a quality improvement team as well that go out and do a lot of that work with with our um uh the staff in, in our hospital um, but it's you know it, it's a really tough one to you know we've been trying this for a good uh, year or two trying to improve that data literacy and with with the conversations are improving all the time but you just have to keep having them <laughs>
0: definitely richard so yeah yeah it's,
1: it's an amazing question and you know it's uh it's always the challenge and you kind of i've i've, I've felt it personally um and it kind of touched in with with kind of my Answer um, is, I'm I'm a firm believer of the business partner model of working. So um, it's very well embedded around kind of finance teams and uh, HR teams, uh, and it's 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 kind of getting a bit more prevalent in in the business intelligence function. Um, and by business partner, I don't mean uh, a contact name that people can email uh to ask any kind of questions or if they any kind of ad-hoc reports i mean someone that actually work with the relevant division or area of the trust or organization that they are responsible for Um, it's how i progressed within within the nhs I, i i became a business partner um and i would spend at least half my time based with the clinical area of the trust that i'm with so that i can number one help them with anything kind of ad hoc very quickly Um, but also uh, in kind of let them know that certain things are available you know we've got this report you keep asking this question over and over again I will build a report that does that and then you can just look at it Um, and uh, also kind of getting involved with delivering training on the kind of uh, uh, reporting that exists and getting kind of feedback as to whether or not how helpful said um, uh, reporting is and what needs to be kind of tweaked and that kind of stuff and having that kind of direct contact with um, people uh, sorry my cat keeps crawling across the desk um, uh, is uh, is key because it's that kind of link uh, number one it gives kind of uh, the business intelligence team a face rather than just uh, a a kind of a faceless thing that occasionally provides information that isn't seen as particularly useful um uh and number two is a kind of a live kind of on hand
0: cohort of people to help dan would you like to add anything
3: yeah, I think it's, it's encouraging to hear that some of the steps that I've r- tried to implement are are um, common. So um, in, in terms of the, the thoughts that I had on it is that whole, um, rather than just answering the request and providing a report if they've asked for it, is actually what are you trying to understand and and achieve rather than just literally churning out report after report for them. Um, Certainly the the business partner model, that's something that um, GOSH have have done here Um, and actually one of the encouraging things is the whole collaboration between the the business partners and the rest of the organisation. I I think there's probably a bit of a a split between the clinical staff and non-clinical staff in terms of their ability to deal with data. maybe historically they've not had access to it, or generally they're they're busy doing their clinical roles, um, and also trying to find time to, to do it in, in their normal days is probably a challenge for them. Um, I do think we have uh, potentially some staff that are reluctant to move forward and, and change, but you get that in any organisation, I think. Um, but certainly taking them with you on that uh, without starting all the sort of American management spiel, but taking them with you on the journey is is an important thing. Um, but I, I like the idea of like a metrics library. It's something that I've been looking at for our new ClickSense uh, implementation just to actually have that almost library of these are the reports these are what they show these are the calculations and this is the source of the data so you've got that complete picture because i do find that even with like implementing a, a data warehouse to get that single source of truth uh, depending on who you ask and how they interpret that data is the kind of answer you get um, and actually standardizing that process across the entire organization um, can can help with that as well
0: amazing Richard, would you like to add something?
3: So, uh, uh,
1: a couple of things really. Um, um, uh, firstly, um, kind of a little addendum to uh, the business partner model um, is, uh, it's quite important as well to kind of almost kind of feed that uh, uh, attitude lower down in the BI team as well. Um, so, uh, my, my progression uh, was, uh, a, well, it was a trainee analyst, then a regular analyst, uh, which sometimes some organisations are a senior analyst, depending on the structure of the team. Uh, And when I was at that role, um, which was directly managed by one of the business partners, um, I I was essentially an assistant business partner. Um, And so I would spend uh, at least a day a week kind of with the relevant service. And kind of helping them and kind of basically uh, fostering that kind of attitude and that level of visibility for, for, for the BI team. Um, and the other thing that I wanted to talk about was um, uh, uh, cuz uh, Dan's going uh, talking about uh, click and what was the other thing click
3: something click sense is the sense for oh, it's, okay, like, cool. it's almost like the, the new version it's it's like how oh, BI okay, can okay. Take.
1: Yeah yeah so um well, Power BI is exactly what we're embracing, um, and uh, the functionality you can get in that, especially if you can get your IT department to keep it updated enough, um, is uh, is staggering. Um, like, you can even build reports as long as you've built your data set properly, where you know the end user can basically type in a question and it will kind of latch onto certain keywords and spit out a chart or a table that will actually answer their question. Um, so uh it's key to kind of um uh properly invest in those kind of visualization tools um unfortunately there's always a cost involved um but uh um, the ones that are free aren't very good uh so um but it's you know it it, it kind of demonstrates the use of things
0: definitely even would you like to ask something
2: yeah so i was just uh thinking about uh, what dan was saying around the sort of working with people to design their reports. And I think that's one thing that we've been putting quite a lot of effort into as well, which is actually going, what do you want it for? And not, what do you want? Um, to try and actually help people get stuff that will help them answer the questions they have. So I don't know, you guys probably have the same thing, but we had a lot of people come to us and say, I want a graph like this. Not, I'm trying to answer this question, what's the best way of doing it? Oh, my um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then you provide it and they go, that's not what I want, yeah, okay, <laughs> we'll try again. <laughs> but trying to, to change that process to actually understand what they're doing upfront, and those business partners really help with that. When you get them embedded into those services, they really start understanding what the need is. So that's a really helpful thing to have.
3: Amazing. Dan, does this answer your question? Yes, yeah, definitely gives me some strategies to help with that as well. I think um, uh, uh, there's a real, int- I think trying to get the interest to start with is always the the, the first step, because even as, as I found out the other day, some people use your nice shiny report that's all singing or dancing and export to Excel and then do some manual manipulation after. Um, so I think even, um, so I'm looking at a piece at the moment in terms of sort of who who does that in the organization and actually let's automate those processes and pro- so you you don't need to do all of that time consuming work and and actually get the data and be able to make decisions sooner from that um but I, I think it's part and parcel of going out into the wider business and understanding how they do interact with systems um certainly we've um even on the, the genetic side of things that we do there's new metrics that come in that we know we want to report on and um, they've got ten different spreadsheets that they update little bit after by little, and and actually, I think that's where the sort of we want to become driven by data, but actually we don't record it properly as well. Um, so I think that's an influencing factor as well. But yes, thank you very much.
0: So I think we're going to add to our last question. Uh, it was going to be addressed by Caroline, um, and it was it was such a good question that. I thought it it would be too good not to include into the podcast. Um, So the question is, how how close does the group think that the NHS is is to being data ready? And what are the biggest transformational challenges that we face at the moment? And what is needed to address them? Is it data skills? Is it data sharing? Is it governance? Or is it data quality? Um, So who would like
3: to start? Go on, Dan, yeah. Sorry, I got in there first, didn't I? Um, I think it's probably a combination of all of the above. Um, I think certainly one of the big factors was actually, uh, that maybe wasn't included in that, was technology, um, the, the collation and storing of data. Um, I've I've worked at trusts that were still using Access databases, and and that uh, and yeah, I can see Richard shaking his head there as well. Yes, um, and we almost <laughs> had to have a uh, a Access database amnesty when we were um, redesigning uh, a data warehouse um, because people like to store data in different areas for for different uses, or or they knew a bit of it, so that that's what they decided to do with their with their data. Um, but around that is also the, the governance so the we need to make sure that we know where our data is, uh, it's processed properly, we've got all the agreements in place quite often as uh, Richard's Trust has got, has got two sites, um, if if they were separate hospitals or running over services from there if we got the, the right agreements in place there. Um, We collect a lot of data, like a ridiculous amount, and and they're all national returns and I'm sure it's in this big safe up in the sky um, for for us to use at some point. But um, accessing that and analysing it, uh, as we mentioned in previous points, the the skills as well, um, we've got a real interest in it, but actually... uh, can everyone write a SQL query? Most data is stored in, in SQL now, but actually can they, or, or or do they even know what SQL is? Um, uh, there's, there's so many challenges. I think the, the main thing is actually having the right attitude. To, to You can teach technical skills, but the attitude of the person is probably a huge factor. Um, so I appreciate I've probably gone around the, uh, there and not answered the question, but we are data ready but it's what we want to do with it um and there's there's no point without that final target of of really getting too deep into it because I I think like with Eva's first question population health agenda um actually that's what we want to get to um and we can have all the skills and we can have the do, uh, governance there, and we can make sure the data is in the, the correct, correct formats and that. but actually until we know what we want to do with it and have those uh, finished articles, um, this that's we, we need to stop and take a step back. Amazing. Eva
2: So I agree on the attitude bit. I don't think that we we have the right attitude to data in the NHS yet. We don't understand the value of the data we have. So if you look at, again, these big private companies, Google understand, Facebook understand how important that data is and the value of that data, and they know how to use it. And I think the NHS hasn't managed to get their head around actually just how much we have and how useful it is. And so I think we've got that gap there that somehow we need to bridge. it's quite a big thing to jump across when you've had these years of sort of not really understanding that importance of that data and what you can do with it to get to a point where people actually go, do you know what, this is so important for this reason. Um, and We almost need to get someone from Google to come down and show us how to do it properly, which we've got sort of Google Analytics, I know, doing some work on some areas. But actually, how do we then really get that
0: value out of the data we've got. Amazing, Richard.
1: So I mean, yeah, Eva and Dan have kind of hit it straight on the head there. Um, I mean, I was shaking my head. Uh, access and, and uh, it's very much the case that you know there's still there's still access databases uh, floating about. Um, there was uh, a, a previous trust I worked out. It was it was very much like um, they record stuff in a book. I can't. I can't even build a pivot table from a book. What am I going to do with that? Um, so uh, yeah, there's definitely some some challenges there. I, I'd say that um, uh, the culture of each organisation uh, comes comes quite a lot into it um because uh, you know it might it might you know it doesn't matter how much uh um uh, chief exec or various other exec teams say yes we want to be data ready um if the the general kind of feel across the organization is like doesn't really concern me um then then it's going to be quite quite challenging to get any kind of engagement from them um I think the actual kind of the first bit of the question, how close is the NHS being data ready? um, Is, yeah, it's kind of is the the power of a billion dollar question you want, Um, because some organizations will be way more ready than others. I feel like where I currently am, it's more ready, but still nowhere near as ready as as other places that I've worked. I think the the kind of the the attitude that Dan was talking about and Eva was agreeing with is is quite important and yeah it goes across both outside and inside BI teams um, because you, you you need to have the right kind of mindset the analytical mindset and it's the kind of thing that I'm trying to instill in the people that I directly line manage who are doing the churn of things uh, for two reasons really number well three technically uh, one um, they. Uh, they need to check the quality of the stuff they're producing. Um, They can't just, you know, follow blindly uh, a standard operating procedure and then send it off uh, and the the information they're providing is gobbledygook. Uh, Two, it's the it's the kind of mindset that they should have to actually have an analytical mind to kind of improve things. Uh, and whilst we don't we don't you know directly care for patients, the data that we have that we have at our disposal can give us the information to make those patients' lives better. Um, and the third is you know they have analysts in their job title. They need to analyze things.
0: <laughs> Definitely,
3: Alan. <laughs> would you like to add something to that? Yeah, before I get on my point, I completely agree with the analyst thing. It's uh, the most common title I think in organisations now is analyst. But when they actually, if it's it's added on to a job description, um, but whether or not they actually do anything analytical is is another question. Um, one of the, the the big things that that is an issue is actually we're so focused on what happened rather than what's going to happen. All of our returns are national returns on what happened the previous month or or the the previous three months. And yes, that's important so that we can measure performance against standards and things like that. But actually, we need to kind of shift that focus into what is going to happen to be able to plan our services better, to be able to predict. uh, I mean, actually, when I worked at um, MTW, uh, there's a... Uh, an A&E analyst there that was able to predict A&E attendances to within like three or four people a day based on like 10 years worth of data. Now that is really beneficial. And I think that's where we need to shift the focus is actually not what we have done. But based on all this data that we've collected, we should be able to predict within certain confidence limits, what's going to happen, it shouldn't be a shock. Um, and, And then that can let us focus where we put our funding and and not be so sort of like oh my god we're we're on a black bed state because we we had more people turn up than than was expected
0: um yeah richard what would you like to add something to that uh so um
1: first up yeah he's still there dan <laughs> uh he's uh one of the business partners now uh and um yep yeah, his any uh data is uh is always pretty spot on uh there were some COVID related blips. But um, even then, uh, we were we had more faith in his kind of predictions than we were getting from from the system. Uh, but um, yeah, I kind of I can't remember what I was going to say now. Uh, oh yeah, um, so I think that yeah, it, it, there is a lot of focus on the past, but you can, if you look at it in the right way, use the past to help predict the future. Um, so people get so fixated on uh oh it's gone down performance has gone down by one percent this month what's all that about then oh we got to figure that out um when if you actually look at it statistically so uh, one of the things that we've fully uh, kind of embraced um at, at mtw is the making data count methodology which uses statistical process control charts and that kind of stuff that 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 new hotness that was invented 100 years ago um the um you can use like you know two years' worth of data to see how statistically stable um something is. so if something for the last two years uh, is um, essentially within kind of normal parameters, it's called common cause variation but is consistently failing the target, we know that if you know, carry on doing what you're doing, you're never going to hit the target, so you need to drive some kind of change um and you can also use those to kind of monitor any kind of change that is happening. Uh, through 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 the future, uh, to kind of see if it's a statistically um, stable system. Uh, so it's, it's it's definitely a, a way of uh, going on that. But um, I think uh, oh I've, I'm, I'm going to have a little look at the chat. Let's get the chat involved. <laughs> um, oh okay yeah yeah I mean I can talk about it now or we can talk about it another time. It? No
3: oh, it's time get...
2: if you had time another time we're probably running out of, of course, time now. Yeah, yeah, to, to hear how you're using it, because it's something
1: yeah, we'll yeah. Be at as well. I mean, whatever we're doing in HSI, i loving it because we're an exemplar apparently. Um, so uh, yeah, more than happy. We've we still got uh, seven
0: minutes, so yeah, you, you can definitely crack on now if you
1: want. <laughs> um, so I mean, uh, we, we've basically adopted their model, and it is in Microsoft Excel. Uh, but um, uh, we've got all sorts of stuff going on in the background to try to automate it as much as possible with the data feeds, that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, we've kind of embedded it at, at board reporting level, and we have starting to embed it at a kind of a divisional level. And the kind of uh, the, the next step will be kind of director and also corporate kind of side of things as well. Uh, and the general kind of model that we do is kind of a rolling 25 month period, which is a good number of data points to have statistically significantly, Uh, and it also means that you can see almost three points in time at the same time of the year. Um, Because like uh, if we uh, take this month as as an example, we've just provided reports that run from October 19 all the way through to October 21. Um, And uh, we essentially use the kind of uh, icons that the making data account methodology produce which are a couple of things one to see how stable a system is with the variation and one for assurance to see how how regularly it's hitting the actual target that's set um, depending on how that's doing um, we will uh, escalate those to the relevant parties be it at board level will be mentioned in the in the very relevant Board meetings, Uh, and if it's a a kind of divisional level, then it'd be mentioned in their kind of uh, uh, meetings as well, led by the business partners saying, okay, so these indicators are kind of um, not doing great, so we need to kind of focus on them a lot more. Uh, But one of the additional things that we focus on, Eva, is that um, quite a lot of the metrics you put in to using the Making Data Count methodology. you get a big old gray area in the middle where it's kind of going oh it's it's pretty stable and it's hitting and missing the target and it's just always that um so we added like an additional kind of rule to look at so that if something is has basically been um uh what was in, in a meh state uh for uh, for uh, six months or longer we'll we'll kind of escalate those as well obviously if it's in a mess state but um, that's not nowhere near a technical term, obviously. Uh, but if, if it is basically, you know, um, common cause variation and is always hitting the target, then yeah, happy days. But if it's um, uh, in a common cause variation and is always failing the target or is hitting or missing the target, and it's something like, you know, patient falls uh, that you want people to not have, uh, then um, uh, it's something that needs to get escalated because um, yeah, if, if you don't change something, uh, change a way of doing something, it's not going to change any kind of performance. But I'm all happy to talk about it in more in depth with the kind of nitty gritty stuff, Eva. That would
2: just be to, great. Yeah,
0: it's really just, just to make it clear to the listeners, uh, Eva basically asks Richard about his opinion on making data counts and how he's using it. Uh, yeah, really yeah. Sorry, that was in the chat. I do apologise. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just realised that as well. Dan, anything that you would like to add to that?
3: No, I, I'm a huge fan of SPC charts. Like uh, I've uh, ever since my uh, first ever analyst role, when it was my task to update the data behind it, um, I've thought that they're of great benefit, um, especially in sort of weeding out the um, outliers and things like that to try and make make it a little bit less um, noisy. Uh, we've we've got a, a quality improvement team here that have got their own sort of charting software that they've been SPCing everything they can get their hands onto, um, but I'd I'd quite like to embed it in all our sort of trust level reporting. It's such a useful tool, and and actually one of the things that I'm going to be looking at is to automate it into ClickSense as well. Um, so it's it's definitely it, it just allows you to see something quite quickly and understand it pretty much instantly you've got your control lines you've got your averages and 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 then the actual it can't get much simpler than that really um, and uh, certainly for displaying data to people that aren't necessarily data savvy um, it's a really useful tool.
0: Richard would you like to add anything to that?
1: So um, yeah, we're doing very similar, but with Power BI, trying to get things kind of embedded uh, on on that front. Uh, and I mean, I probably say, Dan, we, we've almost gone a little bit too far um, in in the SBC direction because our executive team absolutely love them, um, which I think is quite a common uh, mindset amongst um, exec teams because you know it's something it's something that sounds flashy uh, and. Um, uh, is is quite easy to understand like you say uh but um one thing that i'm always quite conscious on when i'm because I, I i deliver quite a lot of training around SBC methodology you know, within the trust is that um it doesn't resolve everything So executives are very keen to put everything into SPC charts, but there's just some things that just don't really fit in SPC chart. something that, uh, especially things that basically have a target of zero, and sometimes aren't what zero, they're like one or two, put that in an SPC chart and it's not really going to make much sense. Um, Never events are quite a good example of that. You never want to have them, but uh, um, when you do, uh, which unfortunately is a when, it's going to be a one on one or two used to in an SPC chart and it's going to be not particularly helpful, but I do know that um, uh, NHSI are working on other visualization techniques for those kind of metrics that aren't particularly SPCable, uh, And probably also those kind of metrics where um, it isn't as clear whether it, uh, high is improvement or or not. Um, because some things, it's not so much uh, um, you know, high is good, low is bad. It can be just a, a, this is kind of a metric. You're not quite sure whether high is good or bad. Um, and putting that in a kind of SBC chart, especially using making data count methodology, where you have to choose whether something is good or bad, is um, challenging.
0: Well, this has been absolutely amazing. Um, I've, we've had a really lovely discussion, um, and it's been really insightful for me. Uh, I want to thank everyone for their time, for their opinions, for their thoughts and their expertise. Uh, it's, can I just say, in the last hour I've learned so much from everyone. Uh, obviously I'm not a technical guy, but I'm really passionate about data about in the NHS, hence the reason why I've, I've brought everyone together here. Um, and again, I want to thank everyone for joining, it's been absolutely wonderful, and I just can't wait to share this with with with, with the audience as well.